Well, God has been uh, showing us amazing pictures here in First Kings, and in particular, uh, we have a, a, a an attention that's been put upon the northern nation called Israel, in particular, a king named Ahab, who is now uh, going to rule over Israel for 22 years. He does more evil than any of those who were before him, and he does seem to set the bar for those after him as well. And that's what then sets up a a picture for us of of, uh, God's attempt here to uh, remind and renew his people through this prophet Elijah. And it is a, a time when you are going to have God putting a challenge really to Israel and any who want to follow him if they are going to dare to follow him. Really the question of this chapter is how much faith do you have? And that's going to be seen in a number of ways. And you have your Bibles that you'd open them to 1 Kings 17. And in 1 Kings 17, the very first words that come to us are just this. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. You have just simply the sudden appearance of Elijah on the scene. We aren't given a warm-up about him or anything like that. Here he is, and he immediately just appears before Ahab with this simple statement that as the Lord lives, there's not going to be rain or dew, there's not going to be any moisture whatsoever until I say so. Now it's important that we recognize this is not just simply random statements from a prophet about random things, but that this is a picture of God's uh, covenant with Israel essentially being pictured as broken. That Israel has disobeyed God's law, and that's why the drought is coming. Is that God said all the way back with Moses and Deuteronomy, as well as to Solomon when the temple was established, that if a drought and famine come across the land, it's because you've sinned, and it was supposed to cause the people to repent and turn back to God. And that's clearly what's happening here, is that Elijah just simply comes on the scene and says, there's going to be a drought and it's not going to rain until I say so again, and then Elijah's going to disappear. This isn't like it's going to be, okay, now let's just wait a couple of days. In fact, we're going to later find out three and a half years. And in that amount of time, not only was Israel supposed to understand that they've disobeyed the Lord, but imagine the amount of economic crisis and doom that comes from having a drought for three and a half years. I just want you to get a sense of that. Imagine uh, the total loss of agriculture, which then with the loss of agriculture comes the loss of the animals. Which means there's not going to be food, there's not going to be anything anymore, putting the, the country in a devastating situation economically. You thought a year ago when we couldn't find a few things, we were kind of a little bit, you know, ooh, where the things shelves are empty. Three and a half years is what's going to happen. As Elijah comes to them and says, it's not going to rain anymore, they're not going to have anything, and it's going to be absolutely devastating. But no sooner does he says that, the word of the Lord, verse 2, comes to Elijah and says, I want you to leave here 
and turn eastward and go hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is in the east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So imagine this now. So God's message to Ahab is, it's not going to rain until I say so. Now, Elijah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave the land of Israel, cross the Jordan River, go to the other side, and I want you to hide yourself over there. Which tells us, number one, as we would assume with it being Ahab, this is a dangerous time to be a follower of God. And then in going over there, this picture of hiding himself from Israel is symbolic. Because when prophets disappear, it's it's indication that you're not going to get another word from God anymore. Here's your one message. Drought and famine. Which means covenant disobedience. And then Elijah's supposed to go, bye. And, And not talk to them again. You don't want a message from God. God's not going to speak to you. He goes and leaves the land and hides on the other side then of the Jordan River. But imagine this command. God says to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sit by this brook, and that's where you'll get your water. And I want you to believe that while you're hiding in the wilderness, I will have ravens bring you food. And you just stay there, and you just wait for these unclean birds to come, and bring you your food every day. All right, good, bye Elijah, go. (laughs) Just ask yourself for a minute. What would you do? (laughs) I want you to just kind of go in the middle of nowhere, hang out by a little brook there, and just wait for the ravens to come. They'll bring you your your breakfast and your dinner. You just go ahead and wait over there. And I think it is so interesting to think about how that logically does not sound like a good plan. (laughs) That defies all logic and reason that scavenger birds are going to bring you meals. They're going to bring you what you need every single day. You don't worry about it. But notice it tells us there in verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He has the faith to trust God. He dares to believe that God will actually do what he says. And will feed him every day. And notice that's exactly what happens as we are told there in verse 6. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, does that sound a little familiar? Eating meat and bread in the wilderness, in the morning and in the evening. And so you have a representation of Elijah representing Israel here. And it is an interesting picture because Elijah is being pictured as the faithful follower who is provided for by God in the wilderness Which indicates that Israel is not that. That is all the imagery that God is trying to give to Israel. In a drought, in a famine, Israel is supposed to hear that they have disobeyed the Lord. And now Elijah is pictured as the faithful one provided for by God. Bread and water, water and meat all given and supplied to him in the wilderness. While Israel is going to lack all of those things in the meanwhile. Now here's what I think is surprising. Look at verse 7. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. 
now here you are and you're saying, I'm going to be prideful, right, God? I've got my, my brook of water right here. And every day the ravens are coming and they're bringing you food every single day. And just imagine as the days are passing by, the water's going down and down and down. And finally then, the brook dries up. No more water for Elijah to drink. The water runs dry. And I want us to consider something so valuable about what you see God doing, even with his faithful servant Elijah. That Elijah has listened to the voice of God, and he has gone to the brook, and he's allowed for the ravens to feed him. And yet, even though he has been trusting God, that trust is tested. And the water dries out. I want you to think about, he doesn't send Elijah over there and while Israel is in panic and, and disarray and mayhem because of the economic impact of the famine and the drought that's going to go on for years, but here's Elijah and he's just swinging in a hammock and everything's good for him and he's, he's chilling by the water and he's just going to be fine the whole time. God doesn't operate that way. It is so fascinating to see that God always tests our ability to trust Him. It's not that God has forgotten about Elijah, but that God is challenging Elijah. Will you panic? Or will you still trust God? Because we know that God could have let that brook keep flowing. God could have made it easy for Elijah. He said, alright, everybody else is going to be dry except for this one little creek right here. <laughs> it's going to work out fine for you, Elijah. But I want us to see a repetition in this chapter. And the repetition is this, that God tests your trust. Even though you trusted Him already, God is going to challenge you to trust Him again. And though you would say, hey, Elijah's passed with flying colors, and here he went and he listened, and he's allowing the ravens to feed him, the water runs dry. And if that test was not enough, listen to what God says to do. In verse 8, the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him in verse 9, there's a, a widow in Zarephath in the country of Sidon. That's the Phoenicia area. And what I want you to do is go find this widow and ask her for a little water and she's going to be the one who's going to take care of you. Okay, if being taken care of by ravens was not outlandish enough, you know the situation for widows in biblical times. That that was like a death sentence if you were a widow. That's what the book of Ruth is about with Naomi, is the utter doom of being a widow and no one to provide, not having children to be able to take care of them, not having a husband to take care of her. And that's the the weightiness of being a widow in those days and times is they need someone to care for them. It's the last person that you would think you should go to to be able to be provided for, especially a Gentile widow who lives in the very heartland of where Jezebel came from in Phoenicia, upside in a bunch of Baal worshippers. And they don't know anything about God. But this widow is going to provide for you. And I want you to notice that we are told in verse 10 
He arose and went to Zarephath. (laughs) As much as that doesn't make any sense. That's not logical. He trusts in God and goes. And now this idea gets reversed in the other direction. Because we are told then that Elijah sees the widow coming and she's carrying the sticks. And Elijah says to the widow, could you get me a little bit of water? And as she's about to go to get the water, he says, oh, and by the way, go ahead and bring me a little bit of bread while you're at it. She turns around and says, essentially, you seem to not have any idea what's going on around here. What I was doing in gathering these sticks was I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil at home and I was going to prepare this for essentially the last little bit of bread for me and my son. We were going to eat it and die. That's how well things are going. She presents to Elijah, we are helpless and it's hopeless. You want me to feed you? We can't feed ourselves. We don't have anything. We don't have any supplies. This little bit that I have at home was going to be the last meal we were going to eat. We have no way to even comprehend that. you imagine being down to your last bit and you will have nothing to eat tomorrow? That's where she's at. You know, sir, I, 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 I can get you some water, but... A, a, a meal? That's not going to happen. Notice what Elijah says. Verse 13. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. All right, now her faith is being challenged. Here is this guy from Israel. He's a prophet and he comes along and says, thus says the Lord, if you feed me first, I know you only have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, but it will not run out till this drought and famine are gone. But you got to feed me first. Ooh, that'd be challenging. Think about the challenge of faith right there. Will you believe that you are going to be taken care of from this day on if you will feed the prophet first and not yourselves? Verse 15, she went and did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now you want this to be the victory lap at this point, right? All right, everybody's trusting God. Everybody's in. Everything is going great. But watch what happens next. Verse 17. 
The son of the woman became ill and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. You can just imagine this scene. That here she is trusted in Elijah. She goes ahead and provides for him first. And you've got to think, now happy days are here again. We're able to eat. We have flour. We have oil. It keeps reappearing every single day for Elijah herself and her household. Every day, there it is. Every day, things are great. And the son dies. Verse 18, she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Are you still going to believe right now? And I want you to see that the widow takes the connection of her sins to the death of her son. And I think that's important to observe. She says, have you come here to remind me of my sin? Is that what you've you've done? Here's the death of my son. Is that what you're trying to do here? And I want you to notice in verse 19, he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him in his own bed and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon this widow with whom I'm staying by killing her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Look at the words of verse 22. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again. And he revived. And Elijah took the the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house. And delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. I think there is something so amazing here in how this all rounds out in teaching us about faith. Have you come here to point out my sins? Is that why you're here, Elijah? And Elijah takes the child and goes upstairs and prays to the Lord, interceding on behalf of this Gentile woman. And the Lord listens to this prayer and revives the child, brings this son back to life. And here her response is so interesting because her response is, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. I now know who you are. I believe in in, in what you say and that your words are from God himself. And understand the power of what has just happened here. Because Elijah has done something that you don't see. I mean, Elijah's greater than Moses here. How many people did Moses raise from the dead? This is an amazing moment. 
where Elijah is showing power over sin and death in this moment. And she is understanding that at this moment and saying, now I understand who you are and that the words that come from your mouth is the word of the Lord and it is true. And as great as Moses was, this is the truest picture of God being able to rescue from death, that God is able to break through sin, that God is able to reverse conditions and give life even to the dead. What I want to do is just consider a very simple application and picture. Because throughout this chapter, everyone is being challenged to trust God. And the question that is put before everyone who reads this text is, will you dare to trust God? Will you dare to follow him? Elijah has had to stand before Ahab and tell him this terrible news that it's not going to rain until I say so. And we are talking about years where it's not going to rain. And it's going to destroy the nation. And are you still going to trust God in a drought and even in a famine? And then, will you dare to trust God By going to a brook and having ravens feed you morning and evening. And if that were not enough, will you dare to trust God when the brook dries out? And if that were not enough, will you dare to trust God by leaving God's land, the land of Israel, going to Sidon, finding a Gentile woman who is a widow who is about to die and expect her to take care of you? And if that were not enough, will you dare to trust God by giving what is left of your bread to a prophet? Rather than feeding yourself and your son, will you dare to trust God even if your child dies? Will you dare to trust God to believe that God has the power over sin and death? This whole chapter is showing us that everyone is being challenged to trust God. And I want us to just let this idea sink so solidly into us. You are challenged to trust God and your trust will be tested again and again and again. And that trusting God does not mean there's going to be a lack of suffering or a lack of difficulty. I trust God so nothing bad should happen. I trust God so... The the brook shouldn't run dry. Uh, I, I trust God so the food shouldn't run out. I trust God, even the words of the widow, and yet my son dies. I hope that we would consider this very important truth. You see that God perplexes as He provides for people. That God can be quite perplexing in the way that He provides. I don't suppose that any of this goes to any logic or human reasoning that you would say, 
Well, that just makes perfect sense that it went down like that. <laughs> Why does Elijah have to hide in the wilderness? Why does it have to be ravens that provide for him? Why does the water run, run dry? Why does he have to leave Israel? Why does he have to depend upon a widow? Why does a widow have to be able to have this food to give to the prophet first? Why does the sun die? Why does all of those things happen? Because God perplexes, even as he provides. And sometimes we're stumped by that. Sometimes the perplexing causes us to lose faith. And we say, well, I don't understand, so I'm not going to believe. But please consider how the chain of events would have been broken if at any moment that had happened here where Elijah says, well, I don't think God's going to take care of me if I go out to the wilderness. That doesn't make any sense. Or I don't believe that God's going to take care of me if ravens are going to provide. That doesn't make any sense. Or how, how is a widow going to take care of me? That doesn't make any sense. Or the widow, how does giving the prophet my last bit of food make any sense? God perplexes as he provides that our trust and that our faith is going to be repeatedly tested through perplexing circumstances. Through things that just don't make sense. And you're going to sit there and go, I don't get it. And I hope you see, there was nothing here that made any sense. Wouldn't have you expected God to send Elijah to the widow for the Elijah to provide for the widow? That's how I would have thought that was going to go. Hey, you know, Elijah, you're going to go take care of her. She's got faith. No, no, it's going to be the other way around. Yeah, I know you're about to die tomorrow, but you go ahead and take care of Elijah. What? The most perplexing of circumstances, and yet God is behind this and that God is providing and what I want us to be particularly struck, struck by is verse 24. Did verse 24 surprise you? Notice the now I know moment was not, hey, every day the, the, the jar of flour and the jug of oil stays at the same level every day. Every day I get up and it's still there. That's not the now I know moment. I would think that would have been the now I know moment for days and days and however long this went on for all of these days. Well, now you know he's a prophet, right? I hope that we realize that those now I know moments come through the most agonizing circumstances. The death of her son. Now I know. Not any of the days in front of that. But now in this agonizing, horrifying, difficult, painful suffering. Now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. You see that the widow and the prophet are saved by faith. They dare to trust God even in the most perplexing circumstances. They trust God again and again and again. And there's never a finish line where we get to go, okay, faith's been tested. 
I don't need any more tests, God. I'm good to go. You can let me be. When we went through the book of Job, we saw that human feeling. In fact, that's how we like to kind of shorthand the book of Job, right? Okay, chapter 1, chapter 2, Job passes with flying colors. That should be the end of the story, right? He survived. He did it. Good for him. Naked I came into this world. Naked I go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right, exclamation point. Great faith. Let's not read chapters 3 through 42. (laughs) That then talks about still needing to trust God in the most perplexing of circumstances, even though you've had faith in the past. Will you have faith again? So whether it is from Job trusting God through his suffering or Peter walking on water, will you dare to trust God? Will you believe in his promises? And I said in my introduction, the question of really the book and particularly this chapter is how much faith do you have and do you dare to trust God with your life even when things do not make sense? Because Elijah is a person like us, James says. And he trusted God in the most difficult and wicked circumstances of the nation of Israel. And even in the most perplexing of commands and strange commands, he still dared to trust the Lord. Will you, when you are given perplexing circumstances, will you dare to trust God even when you don't understand? Will you dare to trust God when life doesn't make sense? Will you dare to trust God because you know He'll get you through? Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, It can be so difficult when life doesn't make sense. When times are turbulent and things are hard. To continue to trust you. Lord, we pray that you would give us a greater resolve. A deeper faith. And a stronger awareness that you are always challenging our faith and testing our trust. Lord, may our faith be proven and refined and beautified in such a way to give you glory and that you would cut out of our lives the things that hold us back from trusting you. Refine those rough edges that we have, Lord. Please refine us, mold us, and make us to be who you want us to be. Lord, help us to believe you even when we don't understand. Help us to see you in our most difficult circumstances and even in our darkest days. Lord, help us to always be aware that you are there for us, that you never leave us or forsake us. God, forgive us for the times where we have doubted you. Forgive us for the times we haven't trusted you. Forgive us for the times where we've questioned that you do not care for us or that life doesn't make sense. 
And help us, Lord, to be far more faithful to you in the days ahead than they were in the past. Help us to completely put our lives in your hands and to see you and everything in this life so that we can be with you in the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you will dare to trust God this evening to really think about where you are in your walk with God. Are you trusting Him completely? Or are things more in your own hands? I hope as we went through the chapter, you've asked yourself, what would I do in that? Would you go into the middle of the wilderness and hope for birds to feed you? Would you move out of the country and hope for a widow to take care of you? How much faith do you have in God? And what can He do for you? Can we help you in any way to give your life to Him and to strengthen your faith? Turn away from your sins. To be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. We encourage you to take a step and follow Him with all of your heart and trust Him with your life because He cares for you. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?